Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. In heaven, we won't be someone else. You will be you. And the relationships, by the way, you have here on earth with Christians will continue in heaven. You'll know other people, they will know you, and you will enjoy perfect fellowship, untainted by sin of any kind. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. Some of life's greatest joys come from the relationships we cultivate throughout our lifetime, which is why many Christians wonder if we'll still recognize the people we loved here on earth once we get to heaven. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress answers that important question in a message titled, Will We Know One Another in Heaven? Now here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's study. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. It's no exaggeration to say that my preparation for our current series goes back decades. All of my life, I've been helping people make decisions to enter heaven one day. But until recently, I'd never presented a full-length study that unveils the beautiful picture the Bible gives us for a place called heaven. Along those lines, I've created a new book for you. It's called Encouragement from a Place Called Heaven. You see, whatever challenges come your way, whether it's financial or perhaps the loss of a loved one, those burdens will be greatly diminished when you view those trials from an eternal perspective. I want to send you my book called Encouragement from a Place Called Heaven. It's based on my original best-selling book, A Place Called Heaven, but this one is completely different. Once you have an occasion to read it, you'll agree that it's perfectly suited to pass along to a friend who needs encouragement as well. When you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, I'll make sure you receive a copy right away. Oh, and don't forget that we'd love to have you join us for the upcoming Pathway to Victory Bible Prophecy Tour to Israel. While it's true that you can see the Holy Land anytime you wish, you won't find another tour like the one we've prepared for you. We'll give you the perfect balance between adventure, spiritual refreshment, and relaxation. The dates are April 25th through May 5th. And you can take advantage of the early bird discount registration price if you register before September 30th. Go to ptv.org, read the itinerary and the details, but most importantly, reserve your spot on the Bible Prophecy Tour to Israel. Now, let's turn our attention to the next topic in my series about a place called heaven. Today, we're answering the question, will we know one another in heaven? When we get to heaven, what will our bodies be like? Will we know one another? Will other people know us? Will we know one another in heaven? Now, to answer that question, we first of all need to understand something about Jesus' promise of a resurrection body. In heaven, the Bible is very clear. We're not just going to be some spirit floating around. We are going to have a physical body. God created us originally body and spirit. And that's why it should be no surprise that in eternity, we will always exist in a body as well as be spirit. God's future plan for us includes a physical resurrection. 
we find that the Bible talks about two resurrections. The resurrection for believers, for Christians, is called the first resurrection. The first resurrection, now get this, doesn't refer to a point in time. Instead, the first resurrection refers to that group of people, believers, who will receive a new body to experience God's blessing. The first resurrection is the resurrection of the saved. But there is a second resurrection, and that is the resurrection of all the unsaved. There will be a time in the future when every unbeliever who's ever been born is going to have be raised from the dead. The two resurrections, everyone, believers and unbelievers, will receive a new body for all eternity. Now that raises an interesting question. How is it possible that people whose bodies have died could have bodies that ever come to life again? How can something that has died ever come to life again? Actually, the Corinthian Christians had that very same question. Paul, we believe in a spiritual resurrection, but a literal physical resurrection, how can that be? Well, Paul answers that question by using an analogy, and that is of planting and harvesting. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 36 to 38, where Paul explains how a resurrection happens. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body, which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. Think of planting and harvesting. What's involved in that? Well, first of all, when you plant a seed, that means the seed actually dies. When we die, that death is necessary for there to be a future harvest. And that leads to the second part of the process, the reaping of the harvest. Notice something about the relationship between the planting and the harvest. First of all, the harvest is superior to the seed. What is harvested is always superior to the seed. What is harvested at the resurrection, our new body, is vastly superior to that which is planted. It's not our old bodies that we are going to carry into heaven. And aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful God doesn't just resurrect your old body and, you know, put some duct tape around it and some glue and try to hope it holds together for all eternity? No, it's not our old bodies. Our old bodies are raised, but then they are completely renovated. But secondly, the harvest is also similar to the seed. It's superior to the seed, but it's similar to the seed. When our bodies die, it's not someone else who is resurrected. We don't get a body that is totally dissimilar to what we were. Our new bodies are going to resemble our old bodies. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. But if you want a good idea of what your resurrection body is going to be like for eternity, the best place to look is to look at Jesus himself. Jesus is the prototype of our resurrection body. What was Jesus' resurrection body like? First of all, it was superior to his earthly body. He had abilities in his new body that he didn't have in his original body. But secondly, Jesus' body was also similar to his earthly body. If you look at the accounts of those 40 days Jesus spent on earth, you will discover that 
those who knew him best eventually recognized him. What is it that caused them to recognize Jesus? There was some similarity between Jesus' earthly body and his new body. Perhaps it was his stature. Perhaps it was the color of his eyes or his hair. Perhaps it was a mannerism that he had that caused them to recognize him. You know, in Luke chapter 24, verse 35, Jesus was on the road to Emmaus, remember, and the disciples didn't recognize him immediately. But then he ate with them, and verse 35 says, Jesus was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. Something with the way Jesus broke the bread made them recognize him. Maybe it was the fact that Jesus took the loaf in his right hand and he broke it with his left hand because he was left-handed. You know, if Jesus was left-handed in his earthly body, there's no reason to think he wouldn't be left-handed in his new body. Perhaps it was the habit of the way he did it. Instead of breaking it in half, perhaps he tore off the ends first. But something about Jesus was recognizable. Well, that leads to the question, what will our bodies be like in heaven? Remember, John said, we shall be like him. Colossians 1.18 says that Jesus was the firstborn from the dead. That word firstborn is the Greek word prototakos. Prototakos. Now, you know what that word means. Prototakos. He is the prototype of those who are to be raised from the dead. You know, if Toyota or General Motors is going to build a new automobile, before they ever fire up the assembly line, the first thing they do is they build a prototype of that automobile to make sure it's what they want it to be, to make sure it works. And only after the prototype is built, then every other car comes down that assembly line that perfectly matches the prototype. And that's what our resurrection is going to be like. It is going to be modeled after the prototype, the firstborn, Jesus Christ himself. He is the prototokos, the prototype of those, all of us, who will be raised from the dead. So knowing that that is true, we can gather several important facts about our new bodies in heaven. First of all, our bodies will be physical. Just as Jesus had a physical body, so will we. Now, our new bodies will be vastly different than our original bodies. Make no mistake about it. In verses 39 to 41 of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men and another flesh of beast and another flesh of birds and another flesh of fish. By the way, that verse just shoots to smithereens, the theory of evolution, doesn't it? My evolution is based on the idea we all originate from the same flesh. Not so, God says. You're not an animal. You're different. God created you differently than he did the animals. Verse 40, there are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in their glory. What's the point of all of that? Paul is saying, don't find it hard to believe that our new bodies would be different than our earthly bodies. God designs our bodies just like he does animals and fish and the stars and the moon all to serve their unique purpose. 
Verses 42 to 44. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Now notice the word body, soma in Greek, is repeated over and over again. That refers to a physical body. It's Paul's way of saying, don't miss this. We are a body, but on earth, in our current state, we are a natural body. But in the new heaven and new earth, we will be spiritual, but we will still be a body. Let me summarize for you, if I can, the differences between our earthly body and our heavenly body for the new heaven and new earth. Jot these down on your outline. First of all, our earthly bodies decay. Our heavenly bodies will endure. Secondly, our earthly bodies are infected with sin. Our heavenly bodies will be free of sin. Thirdly, our earthly bodies are weak. Our heavenly bodies will be powerful. And finally, our earthly bodies are for the old earth. Our heavenly bodies are for the new earth. Now, people have all kinds of questions about what we'll be able to do in our new bodies and what they will be like. The best way to answer those questions is to look at the body of Jesus. For example, we discover, number one, we will eat in our new bodies. Can I hear an amen on that? As we get closer to lunchtime? Yes. We will eat in our new bodies. Remember when Jesus appeared before his disciples? You know, they were just so awestruck at seeing the risen Lord. You know, they wanted to pray and have a Bible study. Jesus said, hey, can somebody get me something to eat? I'm hungry. Give me something to eat. We'll be hungry in heaven and we'll have plenty to eat. Luke 22, verses 29 and 30, Jesus said, just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Secondly, we will wear clothes in heaven. Uh, that's one way this isn't going to be like Eden, where we all walk around in nature's own like contestants on Survivor. It's not going to be that way on the new earth. We will actually have clothes in heaven. How do I know that? Well, the Bible describes Jesus as being clothed. Revelation 1.13, in his resurrection body, he was clothed in a robe reaching to his feet and girding across his chest was a golden sash. For Revelation 3, 5 promises, he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. In Revelation 19, the second coming of Christ, we the church are pictured as coming with Christ and we the church will be dressed in fine linens, bright and clean. Thirdly, we will retain our sexual identities in heaven. There's no transgender in heaven. We will be male and female just as God created us. You say, how do you know that? Especially when you consider verses like Galatians 3.28 that says, in Christ there is neither male nor female. Some people point to that verse and say, well, there'll be no more gender in heaven. No, that verse is talking about right now, about our equality before God. In God's eyes right now, God makes no distinction in status before him between male and female. If you are in Christ, you are equal 
before your heavenly father. He's not talking about the future. In the future, we will retain the genders by which God created us. How do I know that? I could point to a lot of evidence, but in Luke 24, verse 16, Jesus is with his disciples on the road to Emmaus. They didn't first recognize him. Look at Luke 24, verse 16, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. You say, well, how does that relate to gender? Well, obviously, when they were talking to Jesus, he appeared to be somebody else. He appeared to be just another man. He didn't appear as some otherworldly, sexless alien. They would have had a whole different conversation if that had been the case. But he looked like another man, another human being. And so it will be in our resurrection bodies. We will retain our gender. Some people want to know, well, what age will we be in heaven? That's mere speculation. Uh, Some people say we'll be like Jesus, who was 30 years old when he began his ministry. The Old Testament priests begin their service in the temple at age 30. Perhaps age 30 will be our age. Actually, we don't know. But we will be the best version of ourselves we can imagine. Secondly, our bodies will not only be physical, they will also be perfect. They will be perfect. No more cancer, no more heart attacks, no more strokes, no more high blood pressure. Revelation 21 verse 4 says the first things will have passed away. Revelation 22 verse 3, and there shall no longer be any curse. Many of you know Johnny Erickson, my friend, a great woman of God, at age 17, through a diving accident, became a quadriplegic. Listen to what Johnny has to say about the promise of a new body. Can you imagine the hope this gives someone like me with a spinal cord injury? Or someone who is cerebral palsied, brain injured, or has multiple sclerosis? Imagine the hope This gives someone who is a manic depressive. No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, hearts, and minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. Isn't that great? That's the promise we have. Our bodies will be perfect. They'll be physical. They'll be perfect. Thirdly, our bodies will be personal. What I mean by that is... When you are raised from the dead, you don't become somebody else. You are still you. It is you who will be raised from the dead, not somebody else. You know, in 1 John 3, 2, John said, we shall be like him. We will be like Jesus. That doesn't mean we all become little mini-me's of Jesus without any distinction. It means we will inherit the heavenly DNA like Jesus, but we still retain our own identities. Think of it this way. I, I realize the analogy is lacking, but think of it this way. You know, most all of us use a computer and that computer is run on a certain program, a software package, a program. Occasionally we get notices to upgrade that program and we do so. We don't throw away the whole program. We upgrade the program to a better state. And in the same way, When we are raised from the dead, it is a renovation. It is a recreation, but we still are us at the core. How do I know that? 
Well, Luke 24, 39, when Jesus appeared to his disciples, listen to what he said in his new resurrection body. See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. It is I. It's not somebody else. It is I. And your resurrection body, you will be you. You will not be someone else. You know, one of the most personal things that makes us individuals and different from anyone else is our name. Your name makes you who you are. It identifies you as a unique human being. Did you know we're going to keep our names in heaven? We're going to retain our names in heaven. In Matthew 8, 11, Jesus said, I say to you that many will come from the east and west and will recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now, when Jesus had spoken this, Abraham had been dead for 2,000 years. But he's pointing to a future time, thousands of years in the future, when everyone will recline at the table. And guess what? After thousands of years, Abraham will be Abraham, Isaac will be Isaac, Jacob will be Jacob, and you will be you. Now, some people say, well, no, wait a minute, pastor. I remember someplace in the Bible that says God will give us a new name in heaven. What about that? Well, it's true. In Revelation 2, 17, God is going to give a group of extra special saints who are especially faithful a new name. It says, to him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. But that new name is an additional name. It's not a replacement name. It's an additional name. For example, think of Jacob in the Old Testament. His name meant supplanter, heel catcher. But God also gave him an additional name, Israel, which means one who strives with God. Or think about Simon. Simon had a name that meant God has heard. But Jesus said, I'm going to give you an additional name, Peter, which means rock. In the same way, for those of us who serve especially faithfully, God is going to give an additional name. What does all of this mean when we put it together? It means in heaven, we won't be someone else. You will be you. And the relationships, by the way, you have here on earth with Christians will continue in heaven. You'll know other people, they will know you, and you will enjoy perfect fellowship untainted by sin of any kind. Ron Rhodes, theologian, says it this way, our eternal reunion with Christian loved ones and friends will be ceaselessly glorious. Keep in mind that we will no longer have sin natures. There will be no fights among loved ones. There won't be any resentment or envy or jealousy. There won't be any one-upmanship or rivalries. There won't be any crosswords or misunderstandings or selfishness. Our relationships in heaven will be truly wonderful and utterly satisfying. Now that's something to look forward to in that place called heaven. Well, I hope I've whetted your appetite for learning more about this glorious place God is preparing for us, this place called heaven. Please keep listening through the end of this series because there's so much more to discover. Maybe you're listening to Pathway to Victory right now, and you're pining for the day when you can shed your earthly body for a brand new one. Perhaps you're tired of dealing with sickness and sadness. A day is coming when you'll be relieved of pain. No more suffering and no more sorrow. 
And I believe it's healthy for every believer to bask in the goodness of what God is preparing for you. For this reason and more, I've written a new inspirational book for you called Encouragement from a Place Called Heaven. As you and I face the realities of our broken world, those things that make us sad and sometimes fearful, we can actually draw strength from the hope of heaven. Get this new book for yourself and then share it with somebody who's going through an especially stressful time. A padded hard copy is yours when you give a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. At Pathway to Victory, we're excited to announce the beginning of a brand new ministry to Ukraine. Through the collective gifts of our listening family, we're stepping out beyond the borders of our own country and bringing the hope of heaven to those who live in Ukraine. To do so, we're translating my messages into their beautiful language. So, as you give, you can know that a portion of your gift is going toward this worthy mission. And in giving to Pathway to Victory, you are truly making a difference to those who hear this program in Ukraine. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. When you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, you're invited to request your own copy of Encouragement from a Place Called Heaven. Simply call us toll-free 866-999-2965 or visit online at ptv.org. And when your gift is $75 or more, we'll also send you the A Place Called Heaven teaching series on CD and DVD, along with a copy of the original best-selling book by Dr. Jeffress titled A Place Called Heaven. To request this special package of resources on heaven, call 866-999-2965 or visit ptv.org. If you'd prefer to write, here's that mailing address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Wishing you a great weekend, and be sure to join us again next time when Dr. Jeffress begins answering the question, Will Heaven Be the Same for Everyone? That's Monday, here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.